Hello and welcome to a special edition of State of the Media. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. Now usually on the show, I sit down with a newsmaker for a one-on-one conversation about journalism. This week though, you're in for a treat. For the past month, I've been working on a profile about Dallas Woodhouse. He's the executive director of the North Carolina Republican Party. In the coming week or so, the Raleigh News and Observer will be running the story online and in print. This week's episode of State of the Media aims to promote that upcoming story. In the meantime, you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter at brianranderson.com. That's B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. Now, without further ado, this is the Dallas Woodhouse Story. Enjoy the show. It's a lovely October afternoon in Raleigh. I'm standing in line with Dallas Woodhouse and his kids at the North Carolina State Fair. Dallas is the executive director of the state's Republican Party, and one of his employees texts him asking for funnel cake. So there we are, standing in line, we get the cake, turn around, and one of Dallas's kids has completely vanished. Just out of nowhere. Cooper is hard to keep up with, and he's got some... Focus issues, which we have to work on. Cooper is nine years old and has severe ADHD. He gets distracted easily and disappears. His older brother Jackson tells me this happens all the time. So me, Dallas, and Jackson split up for a couple minutes to search the area. We can't find Cooper. And I lost him because Emily on my staff wanted a funnel cake. Dallas tells me to stay with Jackson while he goes to drop off the funnel cake for Emily, his press secretary. But I just had a feeling I couldn't find him after a minute and I kind of know him. I thought I should go look. But I also had the funnel cake. So I didn't, as much as I wanted to find him, I figured I'd find him, and I didn't want my staff person to, to, to have a cold funnel cake. After 10 minutes, he returns with Cooper by his side and a smirk on his face. He went to the Republican booth, Dallas tells me. He's a smart kid. 10 years ago, Dallas was standing in the same spot doing custodial work at the fairgrounds. Today, He is one of the most prominent and divisive figures in North Carolina politics. But he wouldn't have it any other way. He likes the attention and uses it to advance his Republican platform. We begin today's show with part one, The Outspoken Dallas. Those are my handcuffs that I held up on Hillary. You've seen that clip. It's days before the 2016 presidential election, and Dallas is being interviewed on MSNBC. I want to talk about this Reuters report on a batch of emails, including some of yours, that talk about obviously limiting voting hours in North Carolina. They're reporting that you wrote... Dallas is under fire for a letter he sent to the local board of elections, urging them to eliminate Sunday voting altogether, a move that would likely lower turnout among African Americans who generally vote for the Democratic Party. Give me a chance here. Explain that to us. I mean, uh, we have a partisan system. We gave them some legal advice. The bottom line, though, is we have conducted this election under virtually all Democrat rules. We voted on Sundays. Look, there's some people in the Republican Party that do think that six days a week is enough of voting. I mean, we have... So Dallas goes on comparing North Carolina to blue states that 
don't have any early voting. But then he decides to bring out a prop from his pocket. Those happen to be my sons. And, you know, he uses them, you know, dressed up for Halloween. He brings out the handcuffs, illustrating what Hillary Clinton could be wearing in the future. Ever did, and we're seeing record turnout uh, with early voting. We don't have a suppression vote, uh, vote problem in North Carolina. The Democrats have a depression problem. And you know why? It's very simple. Their candidate, if elected, could have these on inauguration day. Are you bringing, day. You're bringing props and for our show here, Dallas? That's a pair of hands. Absolutely. I, th this is, absolutely. is this the kind of rhetoric that you want to be seeing five jewelry. days out from an election? Well, I mean, here's the bottom line. Right here. Look, look, here's the bottom line. The interview continued, but Dallas had already succeeded in getting his point across. He pivoted the conversation away from early voting and tried to cast doubt into the minds of Clinton voters. The thing that was actually good about that, and I got hate mail, and I had people that loved it, is it summed it up in one sentence. What was her problem? Her problem is people think this is what she's going to be wearing on election day or on inauguration day. That's her problem. This is the perfect example of what Dallas does best taking advantage of media opportunities to advance his party's agenda. To get into here, Dallas, I'm getting a hard rap from my producer, but I want to have you back to dive into some more of this Well, I mean, soon. you know, your producer it. should loosen up because <laughs> we make good TV together, Miss Jackson. And whether you love it or hate it, critics and supporters alike agree he is effective at getting his point across. Take Perry Woods, for example. Do I think what Dallas does is why they win elections? No, not really. Do I think what Dallas does is what they want him to do? And is he effective at it? Yes, he is. Woods is a longtime Democratic consultant in the Raleigh area who has known Dallas for years. By making himself somewhat the issue rather than the issue, he can become a you know, juicy target for us to point, hey, look at what the Republicans are doing. But, you know, at the end of the day, is that something voters really care about? And I probably doubt it. Or how about David Lewis, a Republican who helped hire Dallas to be the party's executive director? Sometimes you can um, you can get your point across with a smile better than you can with a with a fist, and I think that Dallas has uh, that Dallas has always illustrated that and continues to do so. Dallas is a master at branding. He used to work in broadcast television, so he knows how to tell compelling stories and keep the viewers engaged. Dallas had a much stronger history of dealing with the media, both as a member of the media and also in his prior roles. Uh, the Republican Party often does a very poor job of communicating with the media, and I thought that um, the biggest plus that Dallas brought to it was his ability to do that. Dallas's quirky tactics are wide-ranging. Weeks before the presidential election, I sent him an email asking for an interview about why college students should vote for Republicans. He decided to have some fun with my request. I think you're the only one I've done that particular particular thing to. He asked me to go to a grocery store to take three to five photos of Oreo cookies. Yes, Oreos. I had no clue what his thinking was, but I agreed to his terms. I asked her in an interview to talk about, like, what's the, the GOP doing to attract college students? That's right. That, that was it. That, that was, that. yes. Now, okay, now, all right. And the point was, these are people that go in every day, and they can have a selection of 50 Oreos. 
Dallas used Oreos as this metaphor for healthcare. Back in the old days, there was one standard type of Oreos, chocolate and vanilla. But today, you can find dozens of flavors ranging from peanut butter to mint. I'll let my year-old interview with Dallas speak for itself. He gave a minute and a half response, but it is well worth opening your ears for. College students are going to be seeing this. Why should they they get involved and show up for the Republican Party? <clears throat> Oreos. Oreos. I asked you to go and look at the shelf and take a picture of the Oreo cookies. Uh, I happen to like Oreos. When I grew up, there was one kind of Oreo. Black sandwich, white cream. That's all there was. You go now, there's mint, there's peanut butter, there's pumpkin right now, there's lemon, which I'm actually a big fan of. Um, there is the sort of vanilla uh, they're the thin ones. I mean, there's at least, there's probably 20 or 30 different kinds of Oreos. On health care, Republicans are interested in giving young people that kind of choice. To walk in there and pick what they want and what works for them. Democrats, you can only have one kind of Oreo. You have to have the health care, they say. You have to pay the bill. If not, we will fine you. And by God, we know better. And there is one kind of Oreo, like it's built in a communist system, and this is what you get. Republicans, give you your choice. You pick it. This is Dallas Woodhouse in a nutshell. A humorous, candid, powerful man who oversees one of the biggest political organizations in the state. He's also someone I spent a month with and got to know personally. And what I found might surprise you. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this edition of State of the Media. If you like what you're hearing, then you'll love my weekly newsletter. Each week, I provide updates on the latest news I am breaking. To subscribe, just visit brianranderson.com. Again, that's B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. Now back to the show. This week on the podcast, we're profiling Dallas Woodhouse. Executive Director of the North Carolina Republican Party. I'm Brian Anderson. Thanks for tuning in. The outspoken Dallas you listened to in the first act is how most people know him. He has a larger-than-life TV persona and is no stranger to conflict. But in this act, we dig deeper into his personal life, exploring his relationship with his brother, his family as a whole, and the obstacles he's overcome to get to where he is today. We arrive at part two of our show, A Fractured Family. The C-SPAN networks bring you long-form public affairs programming from the nation's capital and are a public service of your television provider. C-SPAN, created by cable. Let's go to this Joy. Show, <laughs> no, go to Joy in Raleigh, North Carolina. Good morning. Hey, Good morning, somebody from down south. Well, you're right, I'm from down south. Oh, God, it's mom. And I'm your mother. And I, di I disagree that all families are like ours. I don't know many families that are 
fighting at Thanksgiving. Is this, is this really your mother? No, it's not mom. Yeah. I was very glad that this Thanksgiving was a year that you two were supposed to go to your in-laws. And, I was ho- and I'm hoping you'll have some of this out of your system when you come here for Christmas. Yeah, we were really not together like, this Thanksgiving. We are most years. I would really like a peaceful thought. Christmas. And I love you both. <laughs> hey, now, now let me jump in because this was not planned. She called mm-hmm. in on the normal line. So, uh, but since you did call in, Mrs. Woodhouse... <laughs> What's it like to raise these two boys? Well, it hadn't been easy. <laughs> <laughs> that was Joyce Woodhouse surprising her two sons, Brad and Dallas, on live television as they were in the middle of promoting a documentary. Woodhouse Divided showcases a sibling rivalry unlike any other. Brad's a hardcore Democrat. Dallas is a hardcore Republican. Their fighting has been televised several times. Here they are on Fox and Friends. If you think it's a coincidence that they hacked DNC emails and they released embarrassing emails right before the election. I think this is just an embarrassment. Yeah. It, you uh, know, I obviously don't send a Democrat right. an email. I don't send you emails. Don't send no Dallas, Democrat no email. Dallas and Brad, <laughs> we thank you very much for a little preview no of what it's email. like around your table on Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. All right. Wide-ranging discussion with the Woodhouse boys. All right. On MSNBC. We want to get rid of voter fraud, period. Because it may Haley, not affect the result now. Haley, but it will Haley let me say this. Dallas, let me get in here. Your efforts in North Carolina on voter fraud were nothing more than a documented attempt to suppress the votes of African Americans and young That's people. A lie. You wrote a letter to the state, to, to the county boards of elections, telling them to suppress the votes of African Americans and young people by denying. got investigations going. Dallas, Brad, give me a second here. Everywhere you turn, they're fighting. You'd heard, just heard Dallas here. We're taking your health care away. That is what We're you just said. We're not going to take your health care away. We're going to give people options. Can you tell me where the Joyce, good morning to you. These are the boys you raised. What happened? I don't know. To understand how Dallas and Brad got to be the way they are today, Look no further than their early childhood. Dallas's mom, Joy, shared a story with me capturing the essence of Dallas's upbringing and the source of division. We put him in a, um, a child care center, kind of in behind our house. It's like um, We lived on Hillock Drive, and the child care center was on North Hills. Dad always worked at home. Dad had a sort of publishing business and... You know, worked out of the the house. Um. And so there was a creek in between and all these trees. And in the summer and certain months, you couldn't even see it. You know, when I was young, I realized when the leaves would come off the trees, I could see back over, you know, there's a creek behind the house. And when they would go out to the playground, he would, he would yell, Daddy! I want to come home. I want to watch Prices Right. Probably one reason I'm so loud to this day. I would yell, "Dad, you come pick me up." I want to watch the Prices Right. So, a lot of times my husband would go and pick him up. He would come get me, lift me over the fence. And um, we had our publications printed in Mount Olive, um, North Carolina, which is about an hour from here. And he would take him with him. It was completely um, aggravating and, you know, and, and annoying and 
complaints to my father in particular went went like this. Well, he's the baby. I mean, this was when he was two, when he was five, when he was seven, when he was 10, you know, when he was 11. Well, he's the baby. Like, you know, that excused him, you know, being, you know, being loud and, um, you know, loud, annoying and opinionated. Finally, he was picking him up enough and, I mean, and um, that I said, I'm, I'm going to stop paying for child care. I said, you're taking him over there at nine. You're picking him up at eleven. He was probably he was probably a little uh, a little spoiled. He became you know extremely you know um, opinionated. I think I, I I would never say spoiled, but I I probably had a little gentler gentler glove. So anyhow, he was a dropout of childcare. Five years separated Dallas from his older brother, so the two were never particularly close. They went into politics and grew more divided. Brad started becoming more extreme to the left as Dallas grew more extreme to the right. Doing a cost-benefit analysis, we are worth more. We are human beings, and we are Americans. This type of Dallas is giving a speech during his time with Americans for Prosperity, a grassroots Tea Party organization funded by the conservative billionaire Koch brothers. Ladies and gentlemen, I send you away with this. Let's say it one more time. Let's get those signs up and let's make sure they can hear us in Washington, D.C. and everywhere else. Hands off my health care. Hands off my health care. Hands off my health care. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and good night. The year was 2009 and a major health care debate was taking place as President Barack Obama looked to pass major reform much to Dallas's anger and Brad's pleasure. After the Affordable Care Act got signed into law, Brad rubbed it in. Dallas would later get some revenge with Trump's victory over Clinton. I think, you know, they won the battle, but the country's losing the war. I mean, do you think anybody's going to look at the presidency anymore and think it's a, a, a special, um, unifying, um, uplifting uh, office that's there to solve problems for everybody, regardless of, if past behavior is any indication of what is to come, the Woodhouse family will host a loud, contentious Thanksgiving this year. And I ask them not to discuss politics at holidays, but most of the time it doesn't do any good. They'll get into it at some time or another. The intersection of politics and family is a major part of Dallas's life. But he is clear which is more important. Family will always trump politics. Dallas's personal life has often been filled with hardships. His father died at the age of 65 in 1999. In 2005, Dallas did custodial work at the state fairgrounds to help make ends meet. He faced uncertain job prospects and had a son on the way. Today, he has type 1 diabetes, just like his father. He recently had gallbladder surgery, which led him to lose 80 pounds this past year. But his lowest point came in 2014 when he was drunkenly interviewed on live television during a campaign victory party. Uh, well, seeing that video, you know, that is, is um, and still to this day, and it's hard because people throw it up at me. They'll throw things on Twitter, you know what I mean? And, you know, they do what they do. Um, 
is still the darkest moment in my life. He bragged about pouring millions of dollars into then-Senate candidate Tom Tillis' campaign. When Tillis defeated the Democratic incumbent, Dallas had a few too much to drink and went on camera. Well, people here are very excited about this big win tonight. And actually, I'm joined by Dallas Woodhouse, who is with Carolina Rising. You just mentioned you spent a whole lot of money to get this man elected, right? $4.7 million. We did it. And I uh, have the hat. I have the glasses because that's what's going to happen to the uh, uh, Democrats tomorrow. They're going to be hiding. He was wearing sunglasses and a red Tillis hat to illustrate how Democrats would be hiding the next morning. Good night for Tillis. Uh, your brother, Brad Woodhouse, obviously uh, you're kind of a house divided. We've done these stories before. People have watched the news over the years. Uh, have you talked to him tonight? What's he thinking? He won't answer my calls. So he's not having a good night? No, he's not. Is he in Greensboro? Or? No, I mean, you know, I, I, there's a couple things I'm surprised about. I mean, Tillis is running really strong. I, I am surprised. That, look, Tillis is going to win tonight. I am surprised that Tillis is going to win and um, Scott Brown's going to lose in New Hampshire. I'm surprised about that. And you just mentioned, though, that this is a state of ticket splitters. So, I mean, this is really – did we learn anything tonight about the direction the state's going, or is this kind of a continuation of a state that is very kind of independent? Well, I, you know, I, 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 I think this. I think the Democrats were successful in making this a referendum on the Republican legislature. That's what they wanted to do. They made it a, a referendum on the legislature, and they lost that vote. There you go. Are we are we expecting uh, Tillis anytime soon here, or do you know? Have you heard anything real quick? Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's at this point where the interviewer realizes Dallas has had too much to drink. He tries to cut the interview short. Dallas stumbles a bit as he walks and struggles to stand up straight. That is the latest here, of course. Uh, when we hear from Tillis, we will bring that to you. We'll send it back to your studio. All right, looks like people celebrating over there in Charlotte for uh, the victory of Tom Tillis. I'm going to decide right then and there that that was never going to happen again or anything like it. And part of it was professional. Um, part of it was, you know, this is just not what you want to be doing. And, um, you know, you worry about, you know, any kind of image or anything you leave for your kids. I mean, that, you know, um, so. Dallas felt determined not to let a two-minute interview define the rest of his life. And I think it was election night, and everybody was celebrating and partying, and it, and it, you know, obviously went too far, and, you know, you made an ass of yourself, and, and, and you know, nobody wants to see that. Um, you know, you don't want to be defined by, a, you know, a bad 90 seconds um, for the rest of your life, so you just go, I'm just not going to do this. Dallas says he has not had a drink since that 2014 election night. Everything can be fun till it's not. And it sure as hell it wasn't fun. And here's what I would say. Sometimes people say, well, certain things bring out your personality. I've got enough of my personality out. It doesn't need to be brought out.
We now enter the third and final part of our show, Reviving a Party. What do you do? Yeah, I mean, no, that's a good question. That's actually not a bad, and it's funny, when I first got here, I literally had to take the toolbox around here and fix stuff in the building. The NCGOP was in complete disarray by the time Dallas arrived. The office on Hillsborough Street was dilapidated, employees worried they wouldn't get paid each week, and the Central Committee responsible for key hiring decisions was looking to oust a chairman it believed was hacking the party's website. I oversee the day-to-day operations that deal with, you know, raising the money to get the vote out, you know, managing the staff and personnel and volunteer plans to do that. A big part of the role is, you know, going after the opposition. Um, but, I mean, probably, the, I'm trying to think what the most concise way today it is. There's no concise way to put it. Dallas does everything from recruiting candidates for public office, editing press releases, attending fundraisers, coordinating voter outreach efforts, and so on. The list never ends, and there's no such thing as a typical day. Were, were it not for his energy and enthusiasm and um, ability to... To, to talk to people and work with people, again, it's very likely that a Republican would not be in the seat. Certainly, I wouldn't be in the seat. That's Phil Berger Jr., a Republican who is now on the Court of Appeals in a seat previously occupied by a Democrat. Berger was happy with his law practice and spending time with his family. He had no desire to run, but Dallas persisted. Dallas encouraged me to run, um, said that he would... Um, uh, do whatever he could to help and encourage the party to help. And uh, I told him no. And Dallas called again. And if, if you know Dallas, he's very persistent. He flipped Berger to a yes and helped get him elected. So, so Dallas continued to encourage me um, to, to do something that, quite honestly, I uh, really previously had not given any thought to. But Dallas doesn't run other people's campaigns. He simply gets out the vote and encourages Republicans to throw their name in the hat. When Dallas is passionate about a cause or candidate, though, he goes all in. About the third or fourth time he called me, uh, I told him that I had thought about it and uh, had, had decided to run for the Court of Appeals. Some of the people that work within the party you know, forget that it's not our job to pick and decide what the Republican candidates are. I don't pick the candidates, but they're all mine, and they're, they're mine whether they're really, really conservative or they're, or they're not, and, and and we have to be a big tent. Uh, I, I, th- I think the best way to describe him would be um, conservative handyman. Yeah. He, can, he can fix the sink. He can fix the toilet. Uh, he can he can do the electricity. Um, he, he He's a jack of all trades when it comes to politics. What Dallas does for his party goes beyond politics. I don't know, he brings a family aspect to the NCGOP. That's Emily Weeks, the party's press secretary you heard about earlier in the show, with a sweet tooth for funnel cakes. He's, um, like sometimes I tell people he's my Raleigh dad, because um, he just, he always makes sure that I'm okay and everything like that. Like, uh, he's famous for... Um, if he's on a long drive or something like that, he'll call me, Katie or Greg, and just talk. Not even work-related, just talk to us. Right after Emily was named press secretary, 
She had to have open heart surgery a month after the 2016 general election. She worried about breaking the news to Dallas and disappointing the party. And I I actually had to have, um, it was somewhat of a surprise, but I had to have open heart surgery in December. Um, and when I first found out, I was really worried because um, I was thinking, oh gosh, like, the recovery time for that is so long. Um, I'm not going to be able to go to work and everything. And that was, at first, that was my main concern. It was, to me, kind of a frightening time because she was so young and kind of naive about it. She didn't understand how bad it is to go for open heart surgery. And then when I um, talked to Dallas about it, he said, you know, this is a big deal here. I said, go get better. Your job's here when you get back. Period. And at first, I said, okay, now I have to have open heart surgery. But um, I might can work from home a little bit. I can take my computer to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. She goes, well, I can do that, Emily. I'm not taking your calls. I'm not talking to you. We're not saving lives over here. We're not doing open heart surgery. I said, go get better. The very first visitor was Dallas. Um, he was there on Christmas Eve at Duke before, like I said, before family, friends, anyone else. Um, and just the little things like that mean a lot. Um, I mean, we all know that he cares about us much more than we're definitely more than just his employees you just try to be good to people and and I mean, you just try to be good to people to be good to people and the rest of it will work out um you know yeah at one point my mom answered her phone and it was the governor and he just said i just wanted to make sure emily was okay and thank her for everything that she's doing um she's in our prayers and I mean, it was all the state leaders, and I knew it. I mean, it had to have been Dallas. Anybody who knows Dallas, whether a political rival or ally, will say he has a gentler side the public seldom gets to see. Part of this is intentional on Dallas's part to stay true to his bombastic television personality. The other part of it is simply a lack of awareness of who Dallas is as a person. And for better or worse, he's here to stay. I believe I'll be making the rest of my professional life in politics. But the day that it is no longer fun, you know, routine. Now, that, look, there ain't no fun days. This ain't a particularly fun day right now. Um, uh, but the day that it stops being fun, um, then I'll go to something else. But I enjoy it because I, I think I have helped make a difference in some people's lives. God damn it. Horseradish. I hate horseradish. I despise it. Ugh. Right here. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of State of the Media. If you liked what you heard, or even if you didn't, 
please leave us a review on iTunes. It does help people like you find our show. We'll be off next week, but return with a new episode on December 4th. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. See you soon.